1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to today's program. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us uh, to talk all things gardening and hopefully to give you some inspiration, ideas for new plants to grow in your landscape, and tips, maybe some uh, some helpful tidbits about uh, keeping, keeping problems away. We talked about that uh, this year already, so... Of course, I do want to remind you that uh, even though a lot of times we talk about certain things that um, could apply to anybody, some things that we could do in our landscape that uh, your neighbor could work on, that your best friend, that a, a co-worker could do in their landscape, we do know that you've got specific problems, maybe, or specific situations in your very own back gardens. And so I do want to encourage you that, um, of course, at the end of every month, we will have a Q&A week where we go and answer your questions. We will pull them from our inbox, mailbox, message board, wherever. Of course, you can submit a question to New Southern Garden at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just click on the Contact Us page and, of course, You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's an easy way to tag us in a picture or send us a picture uh, because in this business, a picture is worth more than a thousand words, maybe more than 10,000 words, because sometimes we need to be able to identify a problem whether it's an insect or a disease. And, of course, whenever we're giving diagnosis, it's a good idea to get our eyes on it. So be sure to contact us through Facebook, Instagram, or at NewSouthernGarden.com with any question or any comment you'd like to, to make to us. We'd love for you to be part of, a part of the program. You already are by listening. Uh, but, of course, we'd love to hear from you and uh, let you speak to us as well. So I hope that things are growing well. And going well in your gardens this year, we've had, uh, I don't know if it's unusual, probably should have checked the, uh, what the meteorologists say, I don't know if it's unusual, it seems unusual to me that we've had so much rainfall, but thank the Lord we've got it, we need the rain. Uh, when we go through periods that are quite dry, and we go through a drought, that makes gardening a little less fun, it makes it a little stressful. Because, of course, we're trying to play catch-up. And there's only so much water that we could give. There's only so many gallons we could provide where when it rains, and it rains consistently, um, things are taken care of. But, of course, too much rain, and we might see some problems. Anytime we have increased humidity around leaves, increased moisture, we do find that fungus, bacterias prolificate. But today we are going to talk about some uh, maybe inspiring plants. Maybe you're not aware, I think that I've mentioned just in passing, that of course the um, Perennial Plant Association every year introduces a perennial plant of the year. And usually, like I said, in passing I'll be talking about a certain plant with you. And I'll just mention that this one, a perennial plant of the year, maybe a certain year in the past, but to give you a little summary, of course, since 1990, uh, the Perennial Plant Association every year has been listing an amazing perennial plant. Now, of course, styles of plants change and demand for certain plants change, uh, but the Perennial Plant Association, of course, puts these plants through um, judging and, of course, uh, observing how well they do and. It's a good resource. If you want to check out the um, Perennial Plant Association list, you can go to georgiaperennial.org. They have the list there as well. Um, But with that that being said, the Perennial Plant Association may not always be recommending plants just for Georgia or just for the South or wherever. Um, So in some cases, we have to sort of selectively pick. And of course, these plants, again, are being put through uh, a, a judging of sense, uh, observation, trialing, and of course, a lot of good information on these plants comes from our state here in Georgia uh, at the University of Georgia and the UGA Trial Gardens. Now, of course, Dr. Armitage, who is a perennial plant guy uh, who I had the opportunity to study under, he, he was sort of in charge when he was working, uh, when he was teaching until he retired, and he was uh, running the trial gardens. Uh, And it continues today, even after his retirement. But of course, Dr. Armitage kind of wrote the Bible, if you will, on perennial plants. And so knowing that some of the information from these plants comes from the trials at UGA is encouraging for us who grow here in the southeast, because they're trialed in Athens, Georgia and other places uh, around the U.S. to get a general idea of how well, certain plants will do now of course they're going to be looking for vigor things that are growing well growing fast the, the blooming pattern is it long bloomed uh, is it quite impressive when it blooms maybe based on color or the size of the bloom these are some characteristics they'll be looking for and then of course disease resistance disease resistance is a big thing particularly with those plants that uh, we maybe haven't been able that we haven't been able to grow because of disease issues. And so knowing that we have a good list of perennial plant of the year winners is very helpful, I think. And like I said, since 1990, we've had this resource at our fingertips. Uh, Well, maybe in the 90s, we had to find it a different way than on the internet. But now it is really at your fingertips. You can find a long list um, from, what is that, 30? Yeah, 33 years, 33 years. Folks, I'll say that's almost as long as I've been alive. So we've got a list of uh, 33 plants, and we won't have time to talk about them all today. And what you will find is that some of the plants that won an award back in the early days of this award maybe have been superseded, and that is the case uh, with the 2023 perennial plant of the year. So let's go ahead and start talking about um, some of these wonderful plants that you can still find. We're still growing in the nursery industry, in the green industry, the horticultural trade, uh, perennial growers, uh, people who propagate the plants and start them out are still growing some of these. And of course, the garden centers and retailers that you can purchase them at as a full grown plant ready to sell. Uh, you can also find them there. So uh, this year, 2023, the 2023 perennial plant of the year is Rudbeckia American Gold Rum. American gold rush. Now, this, of course, like most Rudbeckias, is a late-blooming perennial. Uh, they're going to be blooming in... later part of summer and of course most likely through uh, the early days of fall until frost but it is a black-eyed susan that was chosen because it does have such a long season of flowering it has these bright golden flowers nearly a happy yellow if you will and the center the black eye is a deep chocolate cone and it's quite compact Now, this is going to be critical for today's landscape, maybe not so much for the 90s, but the trend for plants in our landscapes is to be compact, to not be overly large that they don't um, fit well into our smaller size landscapes. But this American Gold Rush Black Eyed Susan only gets about 22 to 27 inches tall. And of course, that's mainly the bloom stalk. Not necessarily all of the foliage and whatnot, uh, but then about 40 inches wide. So it will fill. It's quite, um, quite broad and will fill in a, a, a big area. Um, but the stems are hairy, the leaves are hairy, and they bear uh, this sort of silvery cast in the sun, which is quite nice. And, of course, you get that silver and gold in the petal. Uh, you get that silver-gold effect. But the because these hairy leaves and stems are present, it does help to give some disease resistance. This plant is quite disease-resistant to a fungus that actually afflicts other black-eyed Susans. And the Perennial Plant Association, who gives out these awards, is recommending American Gold Rush as a replacement... For the Goldstrom Rutabecchia, which, of course, gets some black spot. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we go back in the list, go back in time, if you will. In 19, let's find it here, 1998, nope, 1999. In 1999, the Perennial Plant Association put this Goldstrom Rutabecchia, the Black-Eyed Susan, as its perennial plant winner of the year, of 1999. So here we are some 20-whatever years later, 24 years later, I guess, and we're already seeing the Perennial Plant Association recommending a new plant over a plant that they did list as a winner of this award in the very late 90s. So that shows us that this there's a cycle here in horticulture, and I think it's quite interesting. So when a new plant comes out, Uh, And and if it achieves enough um, fame, if you will, people are looking for these new plants that come out, we start filling our gardens with them, and then pretty soon the whole neighborhood is filled with this plant. Then our small town might be filled with this plant. Our county might be filled with this plant. And then the state might be filled with this plant. And then a whole region of North America is filled with this plant. And that was the case with Goldstrom. Uh, This was a great plant. It's still available today. It's still a good plant, don't get me wrong. But of course, because 20 years has passed, even if it had a disease resistance 20 years ago, now the disease have figured out a way Uh, to sort of supersede that disease resistance of that plant. And the disease starts to prolificate. So now we're seeing the black spot on a plant that was an award winner 23, 4 years ago. And this is the case for most plants. There is that word monoculture. Monoculture, which means basically culturing the same crop, culturing one crop. And this is a well-known term, of course, amongst farmers who are growing sometimes genetically identical crops. Every plant in a large field might be exactly the same. And all it takes is one pathogen to mutate or change in such a way, whether it's a fungus or bacteria, it changes in such a way that it can break through any disease resistance that that strain of plants had. And so after 24 years of growing Goldstrom, and I'll tell you, folks, you you may or may not know, but being a person in the uh, uh, nursery industry, this plant is quite popular, still is, and it has been, and it is a good plant. But the fact that so much time has passed, and we have planted so much of it, essentially we have a monoculture throughout our communities. And so a disease, once it figures out a way to break through any disease resistance that might have been there, now it is prolificating. And of course, we're seeing some black spot on um, the Goldstrom rutabecchia, which was an award winner. 23, 24 years ago. But now the Perennial Plant Association is awarding a new black-eyed Susan called the American Gold Rush, which to me is a brighter yellow. It is still a gold flower with a dark chocolate center like the Goldstrom, the older one, uh, but it's even more of a happy yellow where Goldstrom is quite golden. So don't be, don't write off the old and replace it with the new but be on the lookout for the new because of course now we've found a plant that is maybe even more disease resistant uh to some of the things that in incurs but in general the black-eyed susans are wonderful plants they are um uniquely american plants they have been hybridizing them now not all black-eyed susans are the same some of them are extremely perennial, like the, this group, the Goldstrums or the American Gold Rush, which is the new one. Um, these plants are, of course, uh, in a group of black-eyed Susans that are extremely perennial. They can be divided and multiplied with no problem. Uh, you'll probably get some reseeding from some of them, including... Um, goldstrom's case most all the time it recedes so <laughs> there is that concern too uh but there are some other great Rudbeckias or black-eyed susans that you can use in your landscape that that are kind of more annual or maybe a very short-lived perennial. Um, they tend to be quite showy. They have very large flowers, and there's doing all kind of breedings in the black-eyed susans. And so keep that in mind for something that is about to really show off. If it's not already in your gardens and landscapes. It is, uh, the black eyed Susans are late bloomers and they're going to carry you through the dog days of summer, give you those happy golden, uh, sometimes red colors, orange colors, all the way through fall. When we get back, more perennial plants of the year. These are award winning plants, so we've got to have them in our landscape. Hang on
0: tight.
1: You know, gang, I think that uh, in general, probably everybody likes to win an award to receive some kind of recognition about something that you have done, uh, done a good job at. And I remember growing up, of course, in school, particularly in elementary school, when at the end of the year, they would have the award ceremony. And you didn't know if you would win one, but you you really hoped you would. Then, of course, either your name was called or it wasn't, and maybe your best friend's name was called, and you didn't receive the award. But even in the plant world, we have great award winners, and that's what we're talking about today. Of course, the Perennial Plant Association, uh, since 1990, has been giving plant awards for plants that can really perform. They're quite showy. Uh, maybe they're disease resistant there's a number of factors that they take into consideration and if you um, build a garden from their list you would have an award-winning garden would you not (laughs) you'd have plants that have won awards and I think it's a great notion because of course having uh, information about plants and how well they perform is always critical for us to grow well but also to you know not uh, use too much money right not to burn too much money um we can trial and error things ourselves and you know it's very possible that what plant what certain plants work for one person in their landscape and their climate may not work you or vice versa, and so in general, of course, we've got to take these with a, a grain of salt, maybe, and maybe do a little more research about their zoning and whatnot. But before the break, we were talking about a new Rudbeckia called uh, American Gold Rush, which is very, very pretty plant, disease resistance, quite compact, uh, much smaller than its sister that won an award in 1999 called the Goldstrom Black Eyed Susan, which is. Quite robust, um, and maybe doesn't fit. Twenty-four years later, doesn't fit well into our smaller landscapes. But in the same vein of American plants, of course, Rudbeckia or Black-eyed Susan is an American plant. In twenty twenty-two, the perennial plant of the year is was the um, little blue stem. Now, the little blue stem is a native grass. It's a tough and dependable, and it's a clumping grass. That really fits well with other perennials, like maybe asters, which bloom late, sedums, which tend to bloom late, coneflowers. Uh, many of these things are, are, can be native plants as well. Um, but really, let me take you through the year, from summer through fall. From summer through fall, you've got these the slender leaves and stems that the little blue stem um, shows off. And they're an ever-changing kaleidoscope of gray greens, blues, pinks, purples, Copper, mahogany, red, and even orange tones. And then, of course, you get these silver, uh, wispy, w- silvery white, wispy seed heads that really just sparkle in the fall um, when the sunlight, you know, the l- light is much lower and it just shines through these wispy stems and seed heads. And then, of course, you have quite persistent foliage with this coppery brown color all the way through winter. Little Blue Stem is one of my favorite um uh, american grasses and they're quite ornamental the beauty of them is that they are clumpers and they're smaller clumpers uh you know we've used things like miscanthus which is not necessarily a native grass but um they're large some of the there are some dwarf ones now but some of them are easily eight feet and then of course if we traveled back to the 90s and early 2000s and and well the 80s we would see a lot of pompous grass which <laughs> Since we've opened the nursery in 2018, I have not seen anybody growing pompous grass anymore. It was huge grass, maybe up to 12 feet tall. But these guys and girls are generally going to be no taller than three feet. Many of them are even more compact than that. And so they fit well into a planting. I've seen this one planted with... Um, some shrubs as well, like of course we we recommend it to grow with shrubs, uh, maybe hydrangeas, uh, the panicled hydrangeas, and I've seen it with tall verbena, which of course has those kind of fiber optic thin uh, stems, uh, and then right on top are those balls of, of purple, dark purple um, flowers. But like I said, it's a tough grass and it's a native grass so of course they're going to be playing a part of the pollinator story if you will as a matter of fact the little blue stem is a larval host for a variety of butterflies and moths like the crossline skipper dakota skipper and the auto o- uh, auto it's got an e on the end uh, but the auto skipper now um being native to to a big band of north america Uh, it is one of the dominant grasses of the vast tall grass prairies so we're sort of playing our part at reforestation and keeping things going strong by planting certain natives um but if you have an average soil or even slightly infertile just maybe lean not heavily fertile uh but well-drained soil the stems will remain upright um but they can start to flop if your conditions are too rich or moist. So as long as the soil is well-drained, maybe slightly on the dry side, just average soil, you will have nice upright stems. But we see this all the time in the nursery. That's one of the downfalls maybe, is that of course we're growing these blue stems in rich organic matter. And of course we're fertilizing well. And so sometimes... The tall stems get a little floppy. Um, And of course, we use a lot of water uh, with container growing uh, nurseries. And so keep that in mind. This is not necessarily a grass that wants your best soil. But as long as it's well-drained, that would be good. Uh, But like I said, there are some plants some uh, little blue stems that are shorter certain varieties and and some of them have this sort of an enhanced leaf color uh, there's prairie sky which is one of my favorite oh i'm sorry that's a different group uh there's the blaze there's the blaze let's start with that one scratch the prairie sky uh but there's the pra- uh, prairie blues i think that's the one that um uh, that we're growing too so we've got the blaze and the, uh, the sh, uh, sh, not Shenandoah yeah there's a bunch so little blue stem blaze and little blue stem prairie blues are usually my top two um, they perform well they grow well and they have some rich colors some really rich colors talk about enhanced leaf color that's one of the reasons we should grow it you get a lot of blues out of them blue gray blue green um, and of course in the fall time it's hard to match them It's hard to match them. Just get these firestorms of colors, firestorms of colors. So with that being said, it it does partner well. The um, uh, little blue stem grasses partners well with a majority of your garden plants. And it's one to keep a lookout for. It's one to keep a lookout for. Let's skip through the years a bit. Um, I want to just say a few, few things about 2019's winter. Of the perennial plant of the year, 2019, the uh, betony called Humelo won an award. Now we've talked about this one before, so I won't dwell on it. And, and you can find more information uh, about that episode that we talked about Humelo betony uh, at newSouthernGarden.com. But the Humelo betony is in the uh, lambs ear group. We call it the Stachys, right? That's the botanical name. Uh, but it's not really. It doesn't look like any lambs ear that. You and I may think of it's it's in its own little group. They have smoother leaves, not quite as hairy, and instead of that gray green leaf, uh, the humelo has a vivid green, and it's really attractive. But uh, in the summer, and sort of sporadically. Um, I guess early summer, late spring, you may get the best show out of this plant. But uh, the humelo sends up these tall, straight stems, a spike of flowers. And atop it is sort of a uh, cone-shaped, loose cone, um, kind of like a cat's tail, if you will, I guess, of pink flowers, pinkish, lavenderish, purpley. It's more pink to me when I look at it but it is a very attractive pollinator plant because, of course, these uh, little pink flowers are clustered together. They're long tubes, uh, which, of course, butterflies love to stick their proboscis, their long mouth part, right? They love to stick them down in there. Maybe even hummingbirds and and plenty of other pollinators go for it, Uh, but it really doesn't care uh, about its conditions. I mean, we put it in the sun we've put it in a little bit of shade it's going to bloom the best in the sun but of course that plant is called the humelo betony or stachys which um kind of low growing creepy crawly sends out short stems left and right really check out that one betony uh humelo betony when we get back more award-winning plants to fill your gardens with
0: earth came to life
1: Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's show here on New Southern Garden. Today we are talking about winners. That's right, we're talking about uh, plants that have won awards, particularly perennial plants that have won the Perennial Plant of the Year Award. Now, just to remind you, if you're just joining us, that perennials, of course, are plants that return year after year. We are not talking about plants that grow through the summer and die at the end when it gets too cold, or we're not talking about plants that we would grow in the winter and then, of course, um Die when it gets too hot. Those would be annual plants. If a plant goes from seed and then produces seed in one season, it is an annual. But these are plants that are going to return for well, maybe several or many years. Of course, perennials, just like people and other plants, don't live forever, but we would expect a perennial plant to at least give us three years, if not 30 or more. It just depends on which plant you're growing. So the Perennial Plant of the Year Award, of course, is given by the Perennial Plant Association every year, and they've been doing so since 1990. So we have a long list of plants. It's 33, right? 33 plants that are uh, available to us that we can find and grow and know that they do have certain characteristics, whether it's a growing habit, uh, the prolificness of their blossom or persistence of their blossom, maybe certain uh, unique color forms. There's a number of things that these plants are judged and graded on and trialed for, including disease resistance. And that's probably one of the most critical things knowing that we can be growing plants that won't suffer from diseases like some of their kinfolk might, okay? Um, so already we've talked about rutabecchia or black-eyed Susans. Uh, we've talked about, uh, briefly, the betony humelo, and, of course, uh, a native grass, the little blue stem, which is one of my favorite grasses. But now let's go into the shade garden because just, um, just uh, three years ago in 2020, the perennial plant winner of the year was Aurelia cordata, also known as uh, Japanese... Um, oh, spikenard. <laughs> Japanese spikenard. I think we'll just call it Aurelia from here on out. I rarely hear anybody using the word spikenard. Uh, but this one is called Sun King. Sun King Aurelia, or Golden Japanese Spikenard. And it was uh, produced by and bred by the Proven Winners group of plants, which, of course, we've talked about at number. They are releasing some wonderful plants. But the uh, Sun King is an Aurelia that, well, let's just describe what Aurelia looks like. So Aurelia is a good plant for the shade. Uh, We don't want to give it too much sun. It could have filtered sun, it could have part shade, uh, but can go into deep shade, which could be four hours of sun or less, all right? Now, their they're, they're leaves are really what we're growing it for, so we have sort of this um, uh, feather-like leaf. Now, the, the leaves aren't as thin as feathers, um, but they are positioned along the stem like feathers would be. Uh, along their main vein or, or rib there. And so the Aurelia here, sun king, gets about 30 to 36 inches tall and wide. So this is going to be the size of a small shrub, but it will die to the ground every year and come back. It's a lot like bleeding heart uh, in that uh, respect. So It does, though, the sun king does have this unique golden leaf foliage. The foliage is bright chartreuse. It's brighter yellow if it gets a little more sun than deep shade. But it will be more chartreuse or lime green if it's in full shade, which, of course, is still a very bright color. So the reason I like the idea of using this Aurelia sun king in our shady landscape is that it's going to brighten up those darkest spots it's going to brighten up the darkest spots now it does come with some very tiny white flowers which are attractive uh, but it's really the foliage while we're going Um, but then after they bloom after they bloom you're going to have these little uh, deep purple black but inedible berries don't eat the berries Um, and another benefit is that this plant seems to be quite deer resistant. And so, for those shady spots, for those woodland gardens where the deer just run a rampage, be sure to look out for Aurelia Sun King. Again, this was the perennial plant of the year winter in 2020 and has really done a good job since then. Now, uh, going back a little further, but I don't want to dwell too much on this, but in 2018, there was an allium that was added to the Perennial Plant of the Year Award, and that allium was called millennium, which we've talked about before. Uh, The millennium allium is in this great group of alliums that performs quite well in the South. I do love it. Um, We've got some at the nursery. We've got some in the garden. And I love the uh, the alliums, but when we think of alliums or ornamental onion, right? (laughs) Um, They we usually are looking for the biggest and tallest we can find, which some alliums can grow thirty six inches tall. Most of the very tall alliums are produced from a large bulb that looks a lot like an onion, but uh, the. Millennium Allium is more of what has been described as a herbaceous Allium, which even though there's fleshy roots and a lot of stems that growing out of each other Um, this one is not necessarily a bulbous comes from a bulb there's just a intricate root system and they seem to push through our summers most alliums particularly the ones that are like bulbs they're going to bloom in the spring in our climate but quickly fade and they retreat underground and, and they're never heard from again until the next spring But with the more herbaceous-like alliums, such as millennium, um, they tend to be shorter. So we're seeing no bigger than 24 inches, probably 18, 20, 22. Um, But they make a nice clump. And so you do get this grand display. Um, As a matter of fact, usually if I'm planting alliums uh, like millennium here, I'll just divide it in half or quarters and then space it out into a small group and you get so much impression. But the Alliums, like we're talking about, Millennium and some of its children or sisters, they bloom in the summer. So they barrel right through like mine are blooming right now at the house and they've got a nice Pinkish touch of maybe purple to them, Um, but of course they're not very tall. They're maybe eighteen inches, maybe a little taller in some areas. Uh, But they've got beautiful foliage. That's what I do like about the herbaceous style alliums: is that they don't disappear quite as readily. As the bulbous style do. So add millennium allium or allium millennium to your list. That again was 2018's perennial plant of the year award winner. Now let's go back in time one more year in 2017. And another native plant. Another native plant won an award. And that is the Asclepius tuberosa or commonly called butterfly weed. Sometimes I'll call it butterfly milkweed because it is a milkweed, being an Asclepius. And anytime we add the name weed to a plant, some people just get turned off automatically. This is not necessarily a weed. Now, it does grow wild along ditches, roadsides, open uh, pastures. Um, And of course, this uh, particular milkweed called the butterfly weed has a nice orange blossom a nice orange blossom the beauty of butterfly weed is that it does not require a lot of moisture And as a matter of fact, if it's too wet, we see that, uh, you know, in the name Asclepius tuberosa, the tuberosa refers to kind of a tuberous-like roots, but uh, they can quickly decline if it's too wet. So we sort of put this plant in an abused area, an area that, I mean, average garden soil is not a problem, but make sure it drains freely. And it does have a beautiful cluster of orange and Uh, Sometimes we get an orange and gold effect in certain cultivars. Uh, But this is one of the plants, being in the milkweed family, that the monarch butterfly not just loves but needs, requires. Its life cycle requires milkweed. And particularly, it's the larvae, the children the young caterpillars uh, of these monarch butterflies, it's the larvae that feast on its foliage. So it's critical to building a pollinator garden. Whenever we're building a pollinator garden, we need to be not just feeding the adults. Remember the adult butterflies, the adult moths, the adult... um, uh, what other, whatever pollinator bees, whatever pollinator you're trying to attract, they need food, and it usually comes in the form of pollen and nectar from flowers. But you can't forget about feeding the babies. If you don't feed the babies, then you won't have a good population of butterflies in your landscape. And uh, Asclepius tuberosa, or of course butterfly weed, is one that is going to be not just loved, by your pollinator babies, um, but also required for them to grow and prolificate. Let's step back in time even a little further and go back to 2011. 2011, Amsonia won the perennial plant of the year award now that's a a funny name amsonia but some people will call it blue star uh, which of course is another native plant that loves to grow in the sun i have planted it before in the wrong spot a little too much shade it looks great it looks okay it's kind of (laughs) thin but it doesn't flower much like the plant looks all right but it doesn't really bloom much. So you put this out in the pollinator garden. You put this out um, in, a, in, in a perennial border. Uh, there's a few attractions to Amsonia. First of all, um, it's maybe it's considered a larger perennial, at least three feet tall or so. Uh, but it clumps. So it has many stems and every stem is loaded with these very thin leaves. From a distance, the plant looks like lace. It's got a great texture. It's got a great texture. And of course, um, it does bloom. So, in the early spring, it puts out these little flowers that are blue, and they cluster themselves together in a loose cluster, but they're in the shape of a star. So, that's how it gets its common name, the blue star, Amsonia. Um, and so, these kind of pale blue is very unusual, first of all, but even though the plant does not last, the, sorry, the plant does not bloom for a long time, it's really tough. It can handle the sun, can handle drought. Um It's got those thin leaves. So after the blooms have faded, you're left with a soft texture. And of course, that texture looks great up against any broad leaf plant. Um, Hydrangeas, of course, I would probably partner this very easily uh, with panicled hydrangeas. uh, Maybe even a a summer blooming perennial uh, pollinator plant like uh, wild bergamot or monarda, you may know it as. Cone flowers would look great with it. Anything that blooms in the summer and has a big leaf would look awesome. But the show for Amsonia does not stop in the summer, folks. In the fall, this is one of the most striking perennials with fall color. The Amsonia or Blue Star, they will turn to a vivid yellow vivid yellow. You might call it golden, but to me it is yellow. And it really, when I see Amsonia with its fall color showing off, I mean it feels like autumn. It feels like fall. So even though Amsonia does not bloom for a very long time, remember to use her as a texturizer. Give her, let her show off those fine lacy-like leaves by putting it next Uh, or or right up against next to plants with very big coarse textured leaves and then of course wait for the fall color and amsonia is one that is going to be long-lived in your landscape Uh, don't worry about it dying out in three years it'll live for a very long time the stems die to the ground but every year you get a, a a swath just a nice even larger clump of brand new stems in the spring So, gang, as we continue to venture through perennial plants of the year since 1990, uh, we're going to hit that up on the other side of this break. So, hang on tight, and we'll give you even more plants that are not just award winners, but hopefully award winning in your garden. Hang on tight. Well, gang, during the break, I just realized that I am talking too slowly, or I'm dragging out these plant descriptions because, of course, today we are talking about perennial plants through the years. Uh, There is an award that's put out by the Perennial Plant Association called Perennial Plant of the Year, and since 1990, at least, they have listed an award-winning plant um, so we've got a list of 33 plants. Now, I was not ever anticipating going to uh, to be able to make it through this entire list. You'll have to check it out for yourself. Just go to Google and type in perennial plant of the year, and you will find this quite extensive list. But I do want to give an idea of things here as far as I think I'll do like a whirlwind. I think I'll do a whirlwind if I can. So already, let's just summarize really quickly. Of course, we've talked about um, American Gold Rush, Black Eyed Susan. We've talked about little blue stem, a great native grass. We've talked about Aurelia, the Sun King. We've talked about Betony, one called Humelo, which is a beautiful plant, in my opinion. And we've talked about Millennium Millennium Allium. And of course, we've talked about um, the um, butterfly weed. Um, Now let oh, and Amsonia. That's where we left off before the break. Amsonia or Blue Star. An early blue 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 blooming spring bloomer. <laughs> that was a, a wrong way to say it. Uh, but then a great, of course, it has great fall color with bright yellow fall color. So let's kind of do a speed. Uh, sp- seed planting here and we'll go into 2010 uh, the award winner for perennial plant of the year was Baptisia and of course Baptisia also known as false indigo is another great native plant does not require uh, much moisture once it's established it's quite drought tolerant but of course it has a, a clump of stems and each stem produces flowers in the spring that are followed by a seed pod which to me is quite ornamental um, but you may have to decide yourself uh, let's see that's Baptisia oh in 2008. Now, we talked about this one a few weeks ago. This is Geranium Roseanne, the Roseanne hardy geranium, which is a wonderful plant. Grows very low, creeps and crawls. It can be put right up against the edge of your pathway or on the front of a border, but it does have this sort of iridescent blue <laughs> but purple flower. And of course, it's not a geranium like your grandma would have had on her back deck in the summer. This is a geranium that dies to the ground in the winter, but comes back. Every spring. Then, 2007, of course, is Nepeta, uh, or Nepida, some people say, which is cat mint, one called Walker's Low. Now, we've talked about this before. It is a great bloomer. It reblooms through the summer. Now, we got to whack it back. Once it's put out, it's tall, uh, cone like, panicle like purple flowers, but super attractive to pollinators. Uh, after you give it a shearing, a few weeks later, you're going to have more blooms. So, keep that in mind. Now, this is a plant. This next one from 2006, uh, which you can still find, and it is a very good plant. It's a dianthus. Um, some people call them pinks, right? Uh, but 2006, the dianthus known as Fire Witch was inducted into this Hall of Fame, if you will. And it's a very low-growing dianthus, just a few inches tall, maybe eight, probably no more than a foot tall. Never seen them that tall. But they creep and crawl, and they're essentially a ground cover, which is evergreen with a blue-gray color. Foliage, very attractive, can really spice up and add in that little hint of uh, gray to your landscape. But of course, uh, it's got uh, the classic uh, pink flower. When I say pink, I don't mean the color. I mean that the edges of the flower, it looks like they've been sheared with pinking shears because they have these jagged edges, which is quite attractive. Uh, But it is sort of this neonish, neon pink flower as well now 2005 just to give a note here uh hellebore the hybrid hellebore group which is quite broad but hellebores or linton rose now i talk about those all the time because they're deer resistant they're evergreen one of the few evergreen perennial plants that you will find and of course they bloom in the winter i mean what could be better than that right but they're quite drought tolerant and they They can go up to maybe six hours of morning sun. Um, They they don't love all day sun, but actually you can give them more sun than most people think. Uh, But they are a great shade plant as well. And then in 2004, a partner for the Hellebore, a great shady partner for the Hellebore, was the uh, Japanese painted fern called Pictum, which is highly colorful with nice ashy uh, foliage with some uh, purples in the foliage as well. Uh, with the Japanese painted ferns it's really their new growth that looks painted. Uh, as time goes along uh, they do wear off some of those vibrant colors and you get some more greens. But that one is called Japanese painted fern uh, one called Pictum and it would partner well in the shade with linton Rose. Now in 2003 These are some good plants, folks. Some of these are my top right here. Um, But the 2003 perennial plant winner of the year was Becky Leucanthemum, or Shasta Daisy. Becky Shasta Daisy won her award two decades ago. Two decades ago in 2003. And she is a wonderful... And very well known, and probably one of the most produced Shasta daisies, which we had an episode on a few weeks ago. So be sure to check out All About Shasta Daisies, I think, as it's how it's titled at newsoutherngarden.com. But of course, The Shasta Daisies are a wonderful garden plant. Becky tends to be one of the more robust ones, but she is a long bloomer, one of the first that produced long blooming periods. 2002 was the David Phlox, which is an upright garden phlox. Now remember, uh, phloxes tend to get powdery mildew, but we talked about David a few weeks ago, and he's an award winner. Why? Because he does have disease resistance against the powdery mildew. As a matter of fact, Most of the uh, garden phloxes that have been released since 2002 or that time period, most of the ones that have been released have parentage through this particular plant, David phlox. Or garden flocks, I like to call it. But this is an upright, and he has the purest white flower, cone-like white flower that you're going to find. Really beautiful plant. Now, a shorter perennial back in 2000, uh, 23 years ago, was Scabiosa butterfly blue. Now, of course, Scabiosa is also known as a pincushion flower. And that's why it gets its name, because its flower looks like little pins sticking in a pincushion. I hope people today can remember or know, and hopefully kids know what a pincushion is. My grandmother had one, but she's the last person I've really seen with a pincushion. And it is true that this nice uh, purple-blue flower uh, looks like a little pincushion. And folks, they bloom all summer. And they will bloom into the fall until it gets frosty. So be sure to keep that one in mind. Now, let's go further back. In 1998, the Perennial Plant Association listed magnus coneflower as its perennial plant of the year if you can find magnus coneflower it used to be everywhere i don't see it as much but if you can find magnus be sure to snag it it is your classic coneflower in the purples but the flower is so much richer the colors are so much richer on this coneflower they call magnus and uh, even though it's a more upright and kind of your your normal height maybe up to 36 inches or so the magnus is a wonderful long-lived plant most of the coneflowers these days do not live that long but magnus has withstood the test of time and she divides well so you can multiply her in your landscape let me just throw out some other names may night salvia husker red penstemon perovskia or russian sage astilbes veronica coreopsis moonbeam there were some heucheras and there's another phlox in 1990 the creeping phlox be sure folks to check out the perennial plant of the year website look at all the plants on here i think you're going to find that they're um, quite helpful it's quite resourceful and you can be sure to put award winning plants in your landscape Give me that. So give perennial plants a go this summer for New Southern Garden and WRWH. My name is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at laniernurserygardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.